welcome to Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Welcome to Breaking Down Bits. I'm Brian Gendron. I'm Drew Jordan. We're glad to be back at it, cranking out some episodes of Breaking Down Bits, having some great conversations about writing, performing, and the business of comedy. And especially uh, a great guest. We're going to have a really conver- a great conversation coming up later. Uh, but a couple things before we get into that. Uh, first and foremost, we, we're getting back into the cycle of, of keeping the Breaking Down Bits virtual feedback mic on every Tuesday at 9 Eastern. Uh, the last couple have been great, great feedback, great comics. If you're looking for a way to to work on some jokes, try some new things. If you're not getting enough stage time and you're wherever you're at, it's a great opportunity to pop in and work some jokes with some great uh, joke writers and comics that are not in your market and competing with you. <laughs> so uh, make sure you sign up, breakingdownbits at gmail.com every Tuesday night. Uh, shoot us an email if you want to get a, uh, on the list there. Yeah, those have been very productive. Uh, you can also DM us at uh, any social media at Breaking Down Bits. It's uh, another <clears> opportunity <throat> to get a hold of us, and we'll get you a spot. Uh, yes, we have had uh, some productive mics. We've also had some productive new conversations. Last week, we had Steph Tolev. You can get that episode at BreakingDownBits.com and all the podcast platforms on YouTube. Drew, what, uh, what was your callback from our conversation with Steph? I, I think my biggest callback was uh, just encouragement to host. Um, I know it's different in different cities. Um, it seems like, um, you know, some people are uh, looked down on hosting maybe. Um, and, and Steph was just encouraging comics to host as much as you can get up there. Uh, if you don't have new jokes and you're hosting a, a regular show, maybe weekly, get up there, do three minutes of crowd work. Um, you never know what might come out of those moments. You might end up kind of getting the seed for a bit. Um, it's just, a, and she just really encouraged people to do more crowd work. And I just, uh, I just agree with that and feel like, um, I'm still on the beginning journey of getting more and more comfortable with crowd work. And so I know that I just need to do it more. And when I do it, it's fun. It, it brings some energy to the room. You don't know what's going to happen. It's, it's a little scary, but it's such a good thing to work on. And if you're not doing crowd work in your set, maybe, Force yourself to try and, and see how it goes. Yeah, it's it's what makes the live experience fun, right? Uh, and it's one of those things where I'm like you, new and you know, still new as a comic, you get afraid to put yourself out there because there's this pressure to be funny, to have the the quick wit and, yeah. and be able to make that those moments funny. Uh, but I think I mentioned it in the episode with Steph. One of the fun things you can do as a host, where you started to host more shows, is right up top. Just go right into birthdays, anniversaries, you know, try to have anybody celebrating anything. And then you get sort of you get to experiment in those spaces, have some canned things you can always fall back on and, and step out that way. Uh, so that that's one one way you can continue to work on those things. The other thing about that is that you can film all your sets and then those can become fun moments that you can post online. We talked about that, too. That doesn't burn your material. Uh, yeah. So uh, the combination of crowd work, hosting and film all your sets uh, is, is a great way to to move forward. I just had a quick call out from Steph. Uh, she was talking about and outed some <laughs> she, she outed some Canadian bookers <laughs> by name uh, and and went into detail of their stories. But like, I guess the 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 my take one of my takeaways there is just um, you know don't don't burn any relationships. Treat everybody with respect, uh, especially in the the it's a it's a weird dynamic, right? The booker to comedian relationship. 
and uh, and yeah, you can burn bridges and mm -hmm. uh, on both sides. And so just uh, be respectful and uh, and good things can happen for you. So uh, check that episode out, breakingdownbits.com, all the podcast platforms, YouTube. And uh, I say it's about time we bring in our guests. Let's let's stop letting them sit back in the green room. Let's let's do this. <laughs> Sounds good. Renan Hirschberg is a New York comic originally from Louisville, Kentucky. He made his national television debut on The Late Late Show with James Corden, and his first album, Self Helpless, climbed all the way to the top of the iTunes comedy charts. His comedy's been featured on Laughs on Fox and is regularly played on Sirius XM. He opens for Whitney Cummings, Sam Morrill, and Kathleen Madigan in sold-out theaters across the country. And his 2019 special, Downhill Ever Since, is available everywhere you listen to music and on YouTube. Run on! Hey, how's it going? Wait. Oh. We dropped him right at the intro. I don't know where he went. He was about to say something epic. It, it, yeah, so epic. He got, he got canceled in that moment. That's, <laughs> that's what happens. And just yeah. that that intro video was enough to put him over the edge. <laughs> ah, he'll, he'll he'll be back. Uh, downhill ever since. Though, <laughs> I watched I watched that that uh, video. It came out on YouTube like three three weeks ago or something like that. Uh, very funny. It's an older. It's from 2019, I think. So yeah, it's, it's a 20. Funny. It's 2019. Mm -hmm. I guess it was it was previously just available on streaming, and now it's finally made its way to YouTube. If you want to catch that for free. For sure, Rana. <laughs> hey, sorry, sorry about that. I, uh, I was, I, I lost like the. I was like opening a couple when you're doing your thing. I was opening a couple other like uh, windows online, and then I totally forgot which one was yours. And I was scrolling to find it, it and then I accidentally cut it out. It reminds me, <laughs> you look, uh, Joe and Renan love movies. It's if you make you brought us down to y'all's level. I feel like there's some production. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I do love that that podcast. I'm a, I'm a movie buff, and then uh, we, oh, cool, yeah, we yeah. we're definitely both technically uh, very you, dumb, and you, we do not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you make. But it they own. say it's part of the charm of the show now, so we're just. That's not, what I'm saying. I love it because yeah. they say that we're just not trying to improve at all yeah i uh but uh yeah so i was just giving you a little of uh you know that was my plug for, if you want to see a little more of that kind of uh <laughs> sneaky seamless, marketing okay seamless like introduction yeah <laughs> um, welcome to the show man we're happy to have you of course we just worked together down in houston and uh yeah it was great right it, at the uh the omicron peak like right when it started for sure dude and we did you and i did a private gig for like 11 people and then like a couple weeks later you're on the tonight show so what a what a ride that is you know yeah i know yeah <laughs> the, the the worst part is the the, the show with 11 people did a lot better but oh, um, it was fun yeah <laughs> it was, uh, but they weren't wearing masks um yeah it's uh yeah it's crazy yeah i i did your club like right when i decided to like cancel my <laughs> taping that i was about to do uh right. on uh, at the club so but then i had a really fun weekend i mean i was gonna have a fun weekend anyway. it was a great club but like like not ha i've been working towards that special taping for so long and then not having that like like you know every time you run the hour thinking about oh is this show gonna work well not having that pressure made me have such a it was like the first time i was ever uh, i'd been loose in like months you know yeah or like fully loose at your club i kind of watched you visibly yeah, just kind of loosen up when you just as you were saying it, you I could feel the relief. It, it, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was just like uh, yeah, I was just like ah, oh, fuck it, I could just do you know, and that's really the best. I mean, like it's always good to work towards a taping, which I am going to do in April now. But like uh, the best to me, the best club experience is when you have 
nothing you know no it's just having fun right there in the moment you know what i mean that's like the best experience nothing to yeah. lose <laughs> yeah. yeah um but uh but yeah thanks for having me sorry i feel like i, I like we had to reschedule like 12 times so i apologize so good you're a busy man uh so here's how it works dude we just want to know uh, not that about- busy i'm just more of a flake but yeah, yeah. Um- <laughs> like you got <laughs> Uh, here's how it works, though. We just we want to know about your career, man. So uh, obviously, you said started out in Kentucky. Tell us about the early goings, and then maybe some of the breaks that you've had along the way uh, to where you're at today. Uh, yeah, I started in Kentucky. Um, uh, I don't know, like maybe 15 years ago, something like that. Uh, I like lost count, but uh, when I started, uh, it was like there was a club in Louisville called the Comedy Caravan. This kind of dingy little fucking you know road club that was you know your typical comedy club just like forever stuck in the 80s you know what i mean <laughs> early 90s you know they they since renamed it they've had a bunch of different om- owners and they've renamed it. it's now called the caravan they literally took the word comedy out of the name of the club uh because i guess they thought they're gonna get sued for false advertising or something <laughs> but uh but so uh it's a shit club but i started there and um and uh i uh there was a very clear system. It was like an open mic and you did the open mic for a couple of years. And then they, the, the owner of the place, this guy, Tom Sobel, and it was actually a pretty fun club back then. He booked a bunch of other shit. He, he gave you like your first paid gig was hosting at this shitty bar in Indianapolis. That was kind of, Oh no, no, no uh, Bloomington called bears place. So that was, that was, I think after like me, maybe two years of doing open mix, I got my first paid paid, uh, gig at bear's place yeah it was like 50 dollars to host you know uh, and so that, yeah i remember it's because it was, it was my grandpa died and i was at the funeral and he he before i got the gig you know i wasn't like i'm a comedian now and then he like killed himself or something <laughs> but like uh <laughs> but uh he uh he died the day of his funeral i got a call i got the call i think i took it during the funeral uh, which was really on my way to being a selfish comedian. And I got the call for my first paid gig. So that's how I, I don't re- really remember when I started, but I remember my first paid gig because it was the day my grandpa died. So I can just look that up, you know. And that that, that, <laughs> that two years of open mics just eating shit, is it or getting better? Yeah, it's so hard to like, uh, <laughs> it's so hard to even try to remember. I think it's too painful. It's like a repressed yeah. memory. Uh, Joe DeRosa, you know the comic Joe DeRosa? Mm-hmm. He has a great bit where he's like, people are like, if I knew, people always say that phrase, if I knew uh, then what I know now. And he's like, if I knew then what I know now, I would have killed myself. I would have been like, life is not worth the effort. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't like <clears throat> the idea of even thinking back on that is like crazy. But, yeah, I guess I, I mean, I guess you had your own sort of, I mean, I guess a good thing about when you start is like you're always basing how well you do on the biggest laugh you've ever gotten you know so you never realize how much you're bombing because it's all in relation to to your best set you know Mm. that's why whenever you see someone bombing all the time you're like i'm sure you see that at your club like you know like at open mics or you know there's a guy who's always bombing and you're like why does he keep on doing this because like to him getting like a minor polite chuckle once is like his killing. So he's just trying to get back to that. So it's like, it's all in relative uh, to your best set, you know? Yeah. Your, your best PR <laughs> yeah. personal record. So I guess at the time I thought, you know, I was doing well. I mean, I, I remember, I don't remember, <laughs> like, I remember 
struggling sometimes, but thinking I did well a lot. I remember like back in the day, like it was kind of cool because you had no bits really, like your go-to bits. So every show you were like really working on all new, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of what you should really be doing when you're like further on in your career, just try to do all new a lot, you know, right. but like, but like, I think not real. I remember I'd have like, I'd think of a five minute bit and do it that night. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Which t- today is insane. It's like today it's like, I try to do new shit and like one like fucking tag works kind of. And then I'd like move that on and build off that. But back then, because I guess I had, you know, I didn't have high standards for myself. I feel like I, it was much easier to, de- to develop new <laughs> material. Cause I didn't, I thought it was all good. You know? anything you thought of driving on the way to the mic is like fair game for material that night. yeah and then i just like i don't know i I just remember like to me like having a three minute bit now takes so long and back then i feel like i just shit it out and be like oh it did well one night so i guess it's good you know it's ready you know there was there was this delusional confidence that i wish i still had (laughs) <laughs> you you kind of mentioned it. Do you still, I wonder if there's something you still experience or just something maybe back in the day, there'll be sometimes like you'll go on stage, you'll perform. And in your mind, you're like, that was a good set. Kind of mm-hmm. killed it pretty good. And then you go and you listen to the tape or, or you watch the tape later and you're kind of like, uh, that didn't yeah. quite look and sound the same way it did in my head. Yeah. It's never as good or as bad as you think it is after you, <laughs> after the yeah. set. I mean, I think a lot of times, I, I think a lot of times if you do, and I think the perception has to do with like, once again, it's comparing it to your own shit. So like, if you do an old joke that you're used to getting like a lot of laughs mm. and then it still does well, but not as well as you think, you think, God, that really did badly, you know, but it mm. didn't really do as badly as you think. But right. likewise, if you do something really new and it gets anything, you're like, yeah. shit, that fucking hit. You know what I mean? <laughs> because you're you have no you have no memory of that ever doing better. You have nothing to compare it to. It's all that's right. the thing about being a comic. It's all comparing in your head to mm. other experiences you had, which the audience have have has none of that. Yeah. Mm. So you, you're always like you can't fully there's the way you feel and the way the audience feels and you'd like to think they're the same, but they're actually very different a lot of times. And sometimes you're like, that sucked when it really didn't. And other times you're like, that was amazing when really it was just pretty good. You know what I mean? Like it's cause they're not comparing it to anything. How many shows have you done where you have a new joke? Just that was the purpose of the set. Just to have a new joke. And that new joke didn't work. And so the whole set to you is just a failure, but no one in the audience is like, man, his new joke didn't work. You know what I mean? Like no one. So we all we that's an interesting thing about comedy we have such a we'd like to think we have a similar perspective of the audience mm-hmm. but it is very different a lot you know how do we unwind that how do how, how can we you know break that, that 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 that's kind of a it's a narrow view right that's the that's the the, the comedy theory of of uh, relativity i guess like, how, yeah, like yeah. how can we break out of that and then how can we also go back and find that like that courage or whatever it is the Chutzpah, right? To, to yeah. go up and try all the new Thanks shit. Thanks for doing a Yiddish word to yeah, make that's me for feel you, comfortable. Man. That's for you. Chutzpah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Now I'm at ease. Uh, <laughs> you're like reading a book on how to deal with a Jewish guest on a podcast. Say Yiddish in the oh, first dude. five minutes. To put that, that, reminds, that reminds me of that private gig where they did, they did that spelling bee and they had oh, all yeah, the Jewish words. It was so so ridiculous. Right, but I don't, I don't know. But how do you get out of your own head on those things? I, I, you know, I don't know the right answer, but 
Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think listening back is good. Yeah. Because <laughs> listening back will definitely give you, you can tell more listening back a lot of times, you know what I mean? And gives yeah. you a, a perspective you don't have. I think it's very important to, to, to really listen back to sets, you know what I mean? Because without that, you can't really improve in a, as much in a linear fashion as you'd like, you know? Uh, I think it's very... Like any comic who's starting out, I always say like, you know, the advice is always to comics starting out to just go up as much as possible, but it's really important to remember that's like only half of mm. the, the point. The other half is realize when it's not going well, because <laughs> so many comics go up all the time, but then just bomb all the time. And it's like, well, that serves no purpose. You need to go up all the time and know when it's not going well, which involves, you know, you're feeling up on stage, but also listening back and really getting a, a more clear perspective you know what i mean um yeah it's almost so, like that old phrase what's the it's not practice makes perfect it's like perfect practice makes perfect or something like that like it does yeah the quality never, of your practice never heard that phrase at all uh, <laughs> that's a phrase <laughs> you made that up you totally made that up. <laughs> i don't I think heard the first one <laughs> okay quote uh, um perfect practice make yeah uh no, no no yes but yes uh uh, I, I it's totally true. I mean, comedy is half an art form, half a sport. And like, if you're like, if you're in, and I mean sport in the sense that there's a clear, you know, scorecard, you know, which mm -hmm. is the audience is laughing, you know. So like, just like sports, when you have to, you know, I'm, I I don't know anything about sports, but I'm sure they watch videos of how they play to you know, improve. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Michael Phil. Jordan wasn't just like, oh, I'm doing really well all the time. <laughs> Never, mm -hmm. you know, not analyzing it, you know, I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, but so, yeah, I think it's, uh, I hate talking about sports cause I know nothing. So <laughs> that is what happened. But, um, but so, yeah, I think it's important to just be aware and, you know, um, and, and, uh, you know, do everything you can to be aware, which is, you know, rewatching, you know, I thought, I thought of something while you were saying that is you have to be in the right frame of mind in the right space to be able to, to receive that. And so figure out what that might be for you. Right. Is yeah. it, is it the, is it some, for some people just to make sure they get it in, it's the ride home after the show, or mm -hmm. maybe it's, it's the next day after you've had your yeah, cup of, of coffee course. and you're just kind of in a, in the right space to be, to look at it objectively, Of course, uh, you know what I mean? And so that, that's a part of it. Uh, but yeah, I used to like, I used to be too, too like intense about it. I would like listen to the hour long, I'd be headlining and listen to the set in between shows, you know, like mm -hmm. if I had two shows that night and that's too much, like, you know what I mean? Like you gotta like, it has to be like, to me, it has to be like the next day or, you know, not like before the next show, you know what I mean? It's just too much, you know? Cause it's like, you gotta just be a little loose at times, but yeah, I always think, um, yeah, I always think you got to practice as much as possible and prepare as much as possible. But then the hard part is also like forgetting all that when you get on stage too and just kind of be loose. It's like you have to do both. That's the real hard work. The real the reason comedy is so hard is because if you only work hard, it'll actually go bad. Like you have to like work hard and then like you can work too hard and stop having fun and then it f fucks it up. So part of the hard work is like working really hard, like preparing and then like really like just kind of forgetting that all when you go on stage. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. Like you said, a lot of, a lot of times for new comics, the one thing everyone says is get on stage, get on stage, get on stage, which is true, but you're right. Not without the, 
the analyzation of your previous sets. Otherwise, you're kind of just making you could potentially just making the same mistakes night after night after night. Yes. Like you really have to go and 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 analyze what's working, what's not, what needs to be changed, what what needs to stay the same. And that's how you actually make progress. Just going upstage every night and doing the and same to, thing. Yeah, exactly. And to throw doesn't... even an extra thing on top of what you said, you have to do all that. And then also remember not to be too into your, in your head. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like you have to be really in your head and also remember not to be in your head. But the, the, mental... the, the analysis is important except when you're on stage, you know what right, I mean? Right, right, right. Once you're on stage, and I guess that's the hard part. It's like you have to be so in your head and then so not in your head when you go on stage, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's it's two different kind of different Dickerson. games. There's writing and then there's a performing. Those are two different skill sets. Yeah. You know? Scott Dickerson talks a lot about that, and we, we had him on the podcast really early on about how to write funny. Uh, and he talks a lot about your creative brain and your editor brain. And it's important yeah. that you you live in both worlds, but you got to be at the in the right brain at the right time. Yeah, it's so important. And that's where it's like when you're doing well on stage, because because comedians, even though the audience and the, it, it's like a balancing because I don't want to act like the audience. I don't want to act like the audience and you are never on the same page and it's a complete and it's just a complete disconnect. That's not true. When you're having fun on stage, the audience can sense it. So there is overlap. I'm just saying sometimes it's not as precise as you think it is, you know, but like or what you thought was shitty was actually pretty good, you know. But there is still I still think every comedian's goal when they go on stage is just to like lose themselves in the moment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's uh, I think that's everyone's goal. So that that's why a lot of times the comedian will leave stage and be like, man, that sucked. And, and you're watching you're like, no, you did really well. And it's like the reason they say that sucked is because they never lost themselves. They were on stage watching themselves tell jokes. And mm -hmm. that's. That's really for a comedian. That's the real bombing. It's not like getting laughs or not getting laughs. It's not losing yourself on stage because we all just want to lose, forget about our shitty selves for a little bit. And when we don't do that, we, yeah. we feel like we failed. But no matter how well the audience perceived it or not, you know. Yeah, that's right. true. You'll find yourself scoring on stage. You're like, well, that one didn't hit. That one, didn't. and then you you're not in the <laughs> yeah. then you're that's, not in the moment. That, that's exactly right, and that's a, that's a great point. When you're scoring. You are you are doing the analysis and it, it keeps you out of the moment because when you're re you you all like everyone knows when they're doing well on stage, they've lost sight of the score. It's not about whether yeah. each jokes work. It's about I'm having fun no matter what happens. You know what I mean? It's like this like you're not like, oh, that joke didn't hit as well as it used to hit. You know, it's just like mm -hmm. it's just like you're just feeling this rhythm. You're in the zone. So scoring on stage is so bad. And so like uh, a telltale sign, you're just you can't fully connect, you know? Right. To, to get back to uh, where we were a minute ago, do tell us uh, how did you how do you get from Kentucky to New York, and where what were the breaks on the way that kind of got you uh, in your career to where you are now? Um, I uh, so I guess there's different ones. I mean, <laughs> I guess in a way, the first break I got was I had a buddy who had a list of clubs, emails, and he said all of the country is like email these lists every month like mm. with like you know asking to feature and mm. that was like a huge break that i feel like other people didn't really do which was knocking on doors you know so i like i would i got this list 
because I was having trouble. They wouldn't feature me at my own club because it's tough at your own club because they, they, you know, they've seen you when you're changing your own diapers. They see you in the new, <laughs> and they they can never forget that. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, but then if you feed, emailing other clubs, a lot of other clubs also don't give a shit about the comics in their town, so they're looking for out of towners. So you just have to email, <laughs> you know. So I remember I I had this list of all these clubs on the road, and I just started emailing them every month. Uh, you know, with some kind of tape and I started getting work that way slowly, you know? And so I started featuring on the road for years, a lot of shit clubs, you know, um, places, you know, you know, that sound like they're like, you know, insane asylums or whatever, the loony chuckle fuck. Yours not like that. No, no, yours are right. That's for you. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, they sound like some kind of, you know, crazy protest or riot, whatever. No, um, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, and so I'd, uh, you know, you go to these clubs where that like one of the drinks would be called like the, uh, the, the, you know, lobotomy. <laughs> and, and and people would drink it and just OD or just go crazy, you know. You you be and then you'd have to fight hecklers, like be like, "How dare you react the way anyone reacts to this drink that they sell here?" <laughs> you know. Uh, um, but uh, but so I did that for a long time, and I think that was like really crucial because like I learned how to do well on the road, and I learned how to do well like. Um, I learned how to make rednecks laugh, which is okay. really important. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cool. Uh, I learned how to make people in the Midwest laugh. And like, it's a different, there's, it can be different than other places. Like if you're on the road in certain places, a lot of places they see a comedian as someone who's just there to purely entertain them. They don't give a shit about self-expression or anything. You know, mm. you're there to make them laugh. And it's important to like, you know, <laughs> I don't think it's good to be only do that at your whole career, you know, but it's important to at least learn from that and learn how to be the person. You got to have that balance between self-expression and entertaining. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you're, if you're all about self-expression, it can be self-indulgent and pretentious. If you're not about self-expression at all and purely about just doing whatever the, you can do to make the audience laugh, you become a hack. So you got to find that balance. But an important part is, is to try both extreme so you know in the open mics a lot of times it's just self-expression and the, it's just comics in the audience and they're just trying to see if you have a unique take but on the road they don't give a shit about a fucking unique take at a lot of places you know so you, it's important to like experience both of them so i felt like i had that experience that a lot of people like i moved to new york eventually a lot of people started comedy in new york in the open mics and they don't know what it's like to be on the road and when they get on the road they they don't really understand how to do well on the road because they don't they don't understand how much of their stuff is like jokes based on a shared value system. You know, mm. that's a big thing about the road. Sometimes it's like, you might have a funny joke, but it's so many jokes. And I'm not saying these are bad jokes, but they're based on a shared value system, which is that you agree politically and the same values as the people in the audience. So like, if they don't have that shared value, they're not going to laugh. I don't, I'm not saying it's, necessarily a worse joke than a joke that uh i mean on some level i do think the most pure joke is something where anyone can laugh no matter your value system but i'm not against shared value jokes i have a lot of those but it's important to be aware of jokes that can only be funny if the audience agrees with it first or if it's a joke that can work no matter what the situation 
and, and to know the difference, uh, this may be more important. You, you said something really fascinating that I, I always blows my mind. We have people that do what you do, right? They're like, Hey, can I feature at your club? And from my perspective, I'm like, you know, headliners, we got it down. You know, we, yeah. we can pay you well. We know how that works. But with features, I'm like, dude, I can't offer you. I, I can only give you 25 bucks. And like, I'm in, yeah. in Chicago and I'm in Houston. Like, how could you make that work? So tell me, how do you make that work? Uh um, I lived at my parents' house for a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I made it work. You'd string together dates? Like how, yeah. yeah, I mean, not every – it depends on the club. I feel like usually I could get – I mean, yeah, there are certain places where it's like, you know, certain venues can really – they can't – they need local comics to feature. But there are certain places where, you know, you'd make maybe 400, 500 featuring, you know, and then you'd have a hotel and uh, or, a, or a condo. And at that time, I, you know, it wasn't like – you know, it was not, it was a little above breaking even. I usually rode Greyhounds everywhere. You know what I mean, mm -hmm. too? That was, the, I guess that was the way I did it. I rode Greyhounds. So, because if it was flights, it would have all just canceled itself out. So I'd, I would take Greyhounds for fucking yeah. like 18 hours places. Sounds it was that 400 sounds dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, I did Greyhounds everywhere for a while. I told that to my friend once, a comic, and he was like, man, I don't, like comedy that much <laughs> to ride <laughs> greyhounds everywhere. Um, I know, like other comics, it was like a class system. Other comics were, you know, you'd open the show with like observational bits about the airport. I, w I would do it about greyhound because I couldn't afford. <laughs> it. I'd be like, What's up with this greyhound and the guy jacking off in the seat next to you, huh? You know, um, but like, uh, yeah, so yeah, I rode greyhounds and I rode, uh, I guess the things I did to make it work is I lived at my parents for a big part of the time. Road Greyhounds, uh, and just email clubs, and you know, and then you know, I had a job, I usually had a job too, like at my in Louisville, you know, I worked every like restaurant job and shit like that, you know, yeah. And that 400 500 bucks was like a whole weekend of featuring at the club, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like at a certain clubs, you know. I guess what's yeah. cool about today's economy, it's probably a little different than when you were in that situation because now they've got these jobs where you can work from anywhere. Yeah. Right? So, so you can be on the road, work for a tech company or whatever, and and do comedy at night. And I mean, and that's which is great. And yeah, and some people had that job, those jobs back then. I'm so jealous, but now that's so prevalent now. I mean, for me, like I would work shitty jobs, and and then people think they have this idea that once you finally, people think there's this line where you become a professional comedian, you go into your job at Red Lobster, and like fuck all of you. <laughs> but that's that's not how it happens. What happens is <laughs> you slowly start getting enough work that the restaurants like are like we can't we can't hire we can't have you anymore. You're you're off too much. But you're like. No, I really need both things to make this work. <laughs> I need the restaurant and the gigs. And they're like, well, we can't keep you on. And they're like, fuck, mm -hmm. you kind of get, you know, it's not fuck you all. It's more like, oh, you're not going to work me anymore. Please work me. Because <laughs> then it's like, yeah, it's not this triumphant moment. It's more of just like, all right, fuck, I'm now doing. Yeah, you're, you know. you're off the most important nights. You know, weekends are, yeah. are big nights in restaurant and exactly. in the industry. So. so, yeah. So, you know, that's what eventually happened. I like just couldn't. I wasn't reliable enough, you know. You failed I, forward, basically. I failed forward, yeah. yeah. And and which is, you know, that is an important, like, I do think eventually, like, not having another job is so crucial, even if you're struggling. It's just, there's something about comedy where if you're working all day, it's just, I mean, I, obviously, if you have to do it, I get it. I had to do it for a while, and I'm not trying to be from, like, this privileged position. Like, why would you work a job? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, like, there is something about comedy where, you, unfortunately, to be your best at it like 
you got to have reserved energy by night that is just completely zapped at a job, you know? Mm-hmm. And time to like, yeah, we'll get we'll get into the writing later, but yeah, I think whatever your preferred writing style is, you have to, you have to have some time open to make that happen. Yeah. And some reserve brain. And, and you kind of need to be lazy too. Like you, you <laughs> need to be a little lazy during the day so they can, you know, I don't know, at times yeah. just let it, you know, stuff <laughs> just pop into your head. Yeah. Yeah, so it is tough, uh, but obviously if you have to work, you have to work. It's just, you know, if you, I know some comics who have been in this place where they could quit their job, they just struggle a little more, but with the job, they have security. And in those moments, I'm like, quit your job. Yeah. Because you, it, it's going to fuck you. You know what I mean? And never have a job that has any responsibility. <laughs> well, like what, right? Norm McDonald, not Norm McDonald, Mark Norman talked about how he was like a janitor and that's like the perfect job for a comedian because it's kind of mindless work and he yes. could be like running thing. He didn't have any emails and meetings and in his head, he got to just kind of think jokes all day while he was just doing the, the physical work. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's, it's good to have like a, a boring, mindless job. I I've known some comics are starting out who had like one was like a manager at a movie theater. I'm like, no, 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 no. Cause <laughs> when you have that kind of responsibility, they make you, they want you to give up some of your soul for the job. You can't just mm. have the hours or like, that's true. Oh, come, you know, come, you got to stay later and think about the job and actually care about it. When you're a manager, they make you, you're supposed to, you have to care about it. Yeah. You know, which is death for comedy. <laughs> to care <laughs> Caring about, about anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's do one last part of your journey. Uh, take us from your, your road Greyhound days to, to now, you know, being past, okay, yeah, yeah. past some of the clubs in New York. Yeah. It's funny. You're like big breaks. I'm like the loony bin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> guy yelled, go home Jew in the audience. That was my big break. Uh, <laughs> made it. So from there, my other big break, uh my there's like a, i've had like i don't know big breaks but like other thing that definitely i could tell visibly moved me along was i started opening for this comic Cassie madigan who's this great comic um she i don't know she was i was gonna work at i got lucky i was gonna work at uh i had emailed the clubs knocking on the doors and after a couple of years one of those clubs is mark ridley's comedy castle and madigan happens to she that was one of the few clubs she still works she was mostly theaters and I don't know, I guess they showed her, she had a choice of openers and they showed her my video and she liked it. And I opened for her there and we clicked and I started going on the road with her in theaters. And that was huge. And I still remember like, I got a paycheck from the first time of doing theaters for a weekend. And I almost felt like crying because I was like, it wasn't like I could now live off comedy, but I was like, man, if I did this, like all the, if I got checks like this all the time, it was like a livable wage for a weekend right. <laughs> you know what i mean but it was like a big it was a big deal because i suddenly was able to like save money you know it was crazy it was like it was the <clears> first <throat> time i did gigs where i wasn't like barely breaking even you know it was crazy so like she doing gigs for her allowed me to get enough money to and this is why she means the most to me and also she's a great comic and i learned a lot from her but getting gigs through her opening for her allowed me to save money to move to new york which was mm. another crucial step and then, so that was, yeah, her was a big, uh, uh, she once gave me like socks for uh, Hanukkah or Christmas. They're like Christmas socks. They're still my lucky socks I use for every like uh, important show. Um, she gave you Christmas socks though? 
Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't even know if they're specifically for me. They might have. No, no, I think they were for me. But uh, yeah. She, Merry she Christmas, <laughs> Mr. Jewish comic. Uh, hope you enjoy these socks. Well, they might have Hanukkah shit on them, too. I, I actually <laughs> haven't looked closely at them. Uh, but, Holiday. Uh, Holiday but I, do, I do wear them for every important show. So that was, yeah. So that was a big thing. And then I think the other thing was uh, doing, uh, doing James Corden. That was my first late night set. And I think the reason I, I got was also kind of a little from her is she uh, she was always telling me, like, you know, it's funny, but, like, you got to be a little personal up there. That's what makes people want to come back. They want to feel like they know you. You can't just be, mm-hmm. you know, it's important to be funny, but, like, you want to have something that they can relate to, a personal thing. And she was like, for her, it's, you know, talking about her family, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had never really done a lot of family jokes. I always just thought they were corny from my perspective. You know, I always wanted to just, you know, be like Doug Stanhope. You know, if I'm going to talk about my mother, it's about fucking killing her. <laughs> She's sick, you know, um, but I started doing these jokes about my mom and it was like that dear joke. Or one of the jokes was that I put that in a submission tape for like Corden. And that's what definitely, I mean, he was like, oh, we started working together, the booker there. And, but I feel like having some jokes about family, maybe it was because more family friendly for like a late night, but I feel like having those jokes really helped me like at least get my first late night because it made it a little more personal to me jokes about my mom, you know? Yeah. You kind of create a fun character for your mom. In a sense, we start to, we start to get a sense of this is like almost like a sitcom character. I can imagine your mom as a, as a person a little bit through the interactions that you share. And for years, I just wanted to be Doug Stanhope. I mean, listening mm. to Doug Stanhope, he got me, he made me want to be a comedian. He's a great comic, but like in a way I was just imitating him and wanting to just be cool and talk about drinking and alcohol and like hot takes about government. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but you can't pick the kind of comic you are and what came from me. I mean, I still like to have, you know, interesting takes, but what, what, what was natural to me was jokes about my family. Um, and that that became personal. I was writing what I knew, you know, and yeah. you, you, your urge is not always to write what you know. Your urge is to imitate mm-hmm. whoever inspired you to do comedy. And once you can break free from that and start writing what you know, then it becomes just you up there, your own voice, which is hard to appreciate at first. That is true. Yeah, that's you, great. You, you, everybody starts in sort of imitation. Really, yes. it's, it's really, really apparent at first. And you kind of distance yourself a little bit from it. And then you can't choose the comic you become. That's that's really smart. Uh, oh, thank you. I, uh, it's true. Well, yeah, because you, you you are. It's always imitation at first. There's never – you see something. You see someone who – like, I just want to do that. You know, and, and imitation makes you go far away. But eventually, you know, like eventually you slowly start to find your own, yeah, your own voice, which is never that finding your own voice isn't this, isn't this like crazy inspirational moment where you're like, I found my own voice. <laughs> it's more like, really? That joke? about my That's the joke that people connect to? This fucking joke about how I, you know, uh, grew up in a certain town or whatever. That's the thing, you know, uh, that makes a... Uh, that makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, well, the, the writer, uh, Ralph Walder Emerson has this, uh, essay called, uh, self-reliance, but he has, this, I've only read part of it. I, I can't understand the whole thing, but there's a passage in the beginning that is like so true to comedy. I mean, true to all sorts of writings, but like art form, but he says something like 
something about how like so many times you have this thought in your head that you dismiss just because it's a thought you had, you know, and you don't give a shit about your own thoughts. And then you see someone else just write out that thought and you're like, that's genius. <laughs> but the only difference was he had the confidence to carry it through and write it out. Mm. You know what I mean? We're so quick to dismiss mm. the things in our lives that come from us purely because we're like, who gives a shit about my own little thoughts? But that's the shit that's really magic if you have the confidence to explore. Damn, that's you know? deep. The first RWE quote we've had on here, man. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> <It's deep. laughs> uh, well, let's uh, let's go ahead and, and transition into into writing, even though we've kind of mixed and matched. So let's go ahead. We got we grabbed a clip from your latest uh, Tonight Show. Let me play a couple minutes of it. Okay. Cool? Yeah, sure. No problem. Let's, let's do it. But I'm also getting older. You know, I'm 37. Uh, a lot of people think I'm younger because I've had so few accomplishments. But I'm... <laughs> And it's hard to get old, too. It really is. Especially in America, it is hard to get old. Once you turn 75 in America, you do not have a lot of options. You really don't. You can either be put into a nursing home or run every aspect of government. <laughs> yeah. Those are the only options. All of you have to make a choice at 75. Do you want to play bingo all day long or do you want to pass legislation... That will have no effect on your life whatsoever. <laughs> I thought as I get older, I get less anxious, and that is not the case. I'm a huge hypochondriac, and my twin sister is too, but she's like a cocky kind. Like, she recently saw a couple moles on my back, and this is how cocky she is. She said, a couple of those moles look suspicious, but you should probably get a second opinion. I was like, no offense, but I do not consider what you just said a first opinion. <laughs> Who do you think you are? The gall. You know how crappy that'd be if I went to my doctor and I was like, I was just with my twin sister and now I'm here for a second opinion. <laughs> and after you, I'm going to talk to my mailman and he's going to break the tie. Why are you crying, doctor? Anyway, she was a little insulted because she's a dermatologist, but I still feel strongly <laughs> that she was being condescending. Oh, man. <laughs> so, uh, first of all, right at the top, dude, your style is so captivating. Just, oh, you're, thanks, you're, man. You're fucking, you're fucking shouting the whole time. So, like, <laughs> you're, you're, you're going to draw people in. You're going to have their attention. Yeah. And, the, and then you have the comedy to back it up. So that style is great. Thank you. Yeah, I actually hate watching that clip, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was it was fun in the room, but they definitely like it, everyone was masked, and the uh, way they like synced it, the, the the audio just sounds so like like I don't know. It just sounds like I'm. It's not like the greatest reception. I was actually very, <laughs> but it's okay. That's, that's what fine. we do, man. And yeah. uh, you're dressed very nice inside baseball. Caitlin told me she helped you get dressed. Caitlin Palufo, friend. Oh of the show. yeah, 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 yeah. She was she she was usually helpful for my uh, for the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, no, it was a fun set. Uh. Yeah, it was good. It's it's good to it's fun to do late night. You know, it's nothing like the clubs, but it's it's a fun experience. You know. Um. But uh. Yeah. She was she was a big help for me. So some of the jokes, so you're uh, right off the bat, at least in, the, in that segment, you're disarming with some self-deprecation, right? You know, it's uh, you yeah, know, my, my accomplishments, right? I look so young, da, da, da. Real, yeah. real funny. And then and then it kind of gives you a little bit of extra permission to get into like, our our politicians are old. Not that that's that, that edgy, but yeah. you know, uh, 
And I, and that, that, that goes back to the Ralph Waldo Emerson thing. Cause I've, I've want jokes about the fact that all of our politicians are, are too, especially the, the two we had for president are so fucking old. Yeah. Uh, and you just found the right way to say it right about the, yeah, it's an obvious idea. It's just a fun, uh, I, I guess the execution itself or the, 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 the two options thing is just like a, uh, it's like a, a fun way to do kind of a feeling that everyone already has kind of, yeah. Definitely. You know? Um, but yeah, and then the twin sister joke was yeah that I feel like that did did well on the show for sure, um, and the, you know the dermatologist thing it gave it a, like a nice flip at the end. It's great, yeah, wonderful misdirection there. And you did I think you might have done that joke the weekend you were in town, and it, it definitely definitely clicked. It was a that's a fun joke that uh, leads you down a fun little path, and then yeah, pulls the rug out at the end. <laughs> it's a good yeah. It's hard. I think misdirection jokes are kind of hard because like you want it to be like, they have to be really good to like justify. Cause there's so many like obvious misdirections these days, you know, it, it can get really old. You have to like, yeah. you have to really have a good one. You know what I mean? Um, do, you, do you feel like that comedy on the internet has made professional comedy different because so many people are now have access to post memes and jokes that aren't professional comics. They just had this idea and they post it. And so many people do that. Do you feel an effect as a professional comic that that brings into the into your world? Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's definitely like interesting now because like it used to be the only people who wrote monologue jokes were just people who worked for a late night show. But now pretty much Twitter is everyone trying to write monologue jokes. <laughs> and it's just so many people that some of them actually I think the problem is some of them are quite good. Uh, mm -hmm. and then you, you watch some of the late night shows and you're like, this is not nearly as good as <laughs> what fucking Daryl said on Twitter yesterday, on the same topic, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you have the whole world working on monologue jokes for free now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I think, yeah, it's definitely tough. I mean, it's definitely tough in the sense that like a lot of times you can tweet stuff and people accuse you of stealing it. You know, so I tweeted something. And someone was like, that's a Michael Moore tweet you stole. That's what people say now. They don't even like be like, they're not even like, hey, uh, just letting you know. There's not even a private message. There's just like, you stole a Michael Moore, which the fact that he assumes I'm reading Michael Moore's tweets is just so like insulting. On is, unless, And then I'm like, so I looked at Michael Moore's Twitter, which, which was also... I'm already annoyed at this guy. I have to look through his fucking bullshit Twitter. You gotta find and there it. Is, yeah, and yeah. I find the joke it is the same joke concept. It's not worded in a funny way or trying to be funny. It's just worded in the self-righteous way. <laughs> but on the timestamp, mine is before his. <laughs> so then I go back and I'm like, you couldn't even check the times of the tweets to realize I tweeted it before he did, you know, like, um, and so, no justice. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that shit's really annoying, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, everything's harder, but you know, but that was a personalized joke. I mean, it's about your, you, your sister, hypochondriac, twin. You know, that, that's all in your world. Nobody can do personal that. jokes are harder, are definitely harder to take for sure. You know, yeah. and that that definitely helps. Like the more unique it is, the more, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, on my first island, I have this like five minute bit about this this reporter having a what I thought was an incorrect comparison to a prison breakout with the uh, movie Shawshank Redemption when it should have been like a Finding Nemo reference, you know? Uh, and it's like five minutes. Like no one's gonna, if someone steals that, like they like clearly like that's not parallel thinking. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the good thing about like personal personal stuff is like you know you don't have to be a victim. But you know, 
a lot of times you have parallel thinking a lot and everyone thinks they know like ever ever since like the Carlos Moncia thing with like um uh, Joe Rogan uh -huh, everyone thinks yeah. they like can be like oh you stole that when really it's like not even a similar joke it's the same topic you know yeah I had I had someone once on a YouTube I said something about like life will shit on your dreams and someone commented oh seems a lot like an old Louis vid how interesting and I'm like I'm sorry I forgot that Louis invented the idea of unhappiness um. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do a quick uh, our, our normal question, which is very open ended. It's just mm -hmm. how do you, how do you write comedy? Uh huh. Um, I usually try to write like five pages a day. Oh wow, good for you. But you know, it's not it's big font. But I usually try to write like <laughs> at least five pages. <laughs> I usually try to sit down and do that. But then I'm always thinking of jokes, so I usually write five pages. And then hardly any of that works. And then I'll say something to a friend and it'll be funny. And I'll try to repeat that. And <laughs> some of those work. <laughs> so you have both, both really organized writing times. And then of course your joke brain is just on 24 seven. Kind of structured, yes. structured and unstructured is a good, yes. a good method. Yes. I think you always have to be aware. I mean, you gotta just always be looking for jokes. That's huge. You know, to me, comedy is, Stand-up writing is more critical than creative at its heart. So essentially, it's essentially it's like comedy is like your funny movie review of life. So it's like if you if you have writer's block, it means you probably haven't had a lot of experiences lately. Right. So it's like a movie critic trying to write a movie review, but they haven't watched the fucking movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Go out and do shit. So like to me, it's like being you have to just be aware looking for funny all the time that's that's so key to be like i know it's annoying but like to constantly be like maybe that's a bit to have that on you know you don't want to drive people crazy but to have that on on some degree is so crucial um otherwise you're just gonna let everything and it's not just shit you say that's funny thoughts you have like being aware of a thought the ridiculousness of a thought you know not letting it just fly away you know catching yeah. it and, and to me, that's more, I write in the day more to organize stuff. Like I'm writing some new shit, but I'm also trying to remember other shit, you know, and kind of organize it. But like, it's, it, it's more important than the other type, honestly, where you can just be like, just be aware of kind of like the absurdity of a thought, you know, or a mm -hmm. behavior and just have that awareness to have that awareness is, 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 is so crucial to comedy. And that develops over time, I think, right? Uh, uh, being able to pick up on those things faster yes. and more in the moment. That's something that you probably, maybe when you started, you didn't have that awareness that you probably have more of now, noticeably, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You you know, just thinking of like, thinking of like, yeah, I think you just get more and more aware of it from, from all the little things you do. And, uh, but yeah, I try to do that. And I try to write in a state, you know, in the morning, you know, try to write a little. And then, you know, just, those are the two you know important pieces in terms of like working on the joke like you know always recording your sets and listening to it afterwards and jokes kind of naturally just progress you know what i mean a lot of times like so much of the time you'll do a joke on stage it won't work but the tag that you thought was more of an afterthought will get a big laugh and that will be the beginning of working on the joke because it, it, it's not just writing thing of funny shit it's 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 how that comes out with you saying it and your voice mm -hmm. and your physical looks how does that joke work with you and that's something the audience has a little more awareness of than you do mm -hmm. they're like it's funny the way you say that you know what i mean 
Yeah. These other jokes might be funny, but it's not funny coming from you. That joke, that way you say that, it's funny coming from you. And that's mm-hmm. where you do have to like trust the audience on some degree. That's a really valid point. We get like our self-awareness we develop and, and we grow and, and but but having external awareness, the audience gives us that. And that's why we have to perform. That's just that's yeah. part that's part of it, no matter what level you're at. It's the one art form where you have a focus group from the like pretty yeah. much the beginning. And so right. they're shaping it the whole way. And you can't you can't let them decide everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. You definitely should never write for because well, what you think the audience will find funny. You write what you think you'll find funny. Yeah. And the stuff that makes it into your set is the stuff that the audience agrees with you. Yeah. On what the audience is like, I also find that funny. You know what I mean? And and so like it's like the natural selection of those jokes. The, the jokes that stay in your act are the jokes. There's so many things we find funny. And you should say all that shit on stage, but so much of that, like no one else finds funny, so it's not viable. Uh, mm. But it's the jokes, the jokes that stay in your act are the jokes that the audience and you agree are funny. Um, but you also shouldn't let them define everything. And if there's a joke that you believe in, but it doesn't do well, keep on working on it. Don't work on it forever, but like definitely don't give up right away, you know. Yeah, good callback to the Sean Patton episode where he he makes the statement, don't kill your babies. You know, he shelved this joke forever. And then finally, something in the news happened that unlocked the way to share this joke he'd been working on and shelved. And it came out and it was I think it was on TV or on a show or something. And that, that yeah, to- that happens a lot. Yeah, that's a great point. It's funny. The original phrase is sometimes you have to kill your babies by Faulkner. Right. But he was twist on that. But like, uh, <clears throat> but it's a good uh it's a good point. Like, like a lot of times the joke doesn't work and then something, there is this like little thing that allows you to like make it work later. You know what I mean? That's why sometimes like if you can't get a joke working, kind of giving up on it. There's some shit that happens in your head while you're not Mm. thinking that kind of works on it. You know what I mean? A lot of jokes I have, like I thought I'll like think of an idea for it, but it'll be like half formed and I'll kind of forget about it. I'll come back fully formed later, you know? So there's something to like, I mean, you should work on it yourself, but there's something to like letting your brain do some work when you're not realizing it, you know? Yeah. I know there's a ton of stuff that we want to get to before we wrap up, but I have to, because it's such a big part of your style. Can you break down your strategy for the energy that you bring on stage? There's a yacht. <clears throat> there's a lot of moments where you pull the mic down and yell and, and a- inject that big energy, those energy moments. Is there a behind the scenes strategy of, of how you use that, why you use that, how that happened in your, in your set? Is that something from day one? It was just part of who you were on stage. I don't know how it exactly developed. I think it's a combination. I didn't like go out of my way to become like the yelly comedian. <laughs> um, I think it was like a natural evolution. I think, uh, I think what happened, I think it's a couple of things. I think I started out in so many bars where no one was listening. Yes. Mm. So I learned to like yell to just get attention, you know? And then by the time I actually had attention, it was too late. I was already <laughs> yelling. I think it's that. I think I'm a little deaf. Which makes me yell louder. <laughs> and I think I get excited on stage. So when like the audiences, I think I get more excited. Um, it's a it's a blessing and a curse. Sometimes I it can be really great. Sometimes you you know you're like ah, I yell too much because you got to find the softer moments too. You know, mm-hmm. and you got to like I'm still trying to work on that. Trying to you know not yell all the time. You know what I mean? But try to like develop the. Um, develop the times we're not yelling but i think overall the yelling thing just became yeah just i don't know what it was it just became part of how i how i talk on stage and i don't know maybe it's like a crutch that developed into so much of comedy is a crutch that just develops into your 
style. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And uh, I think the mic lowering, that was something I learned. I was playing with a lot in New York when I moved here because I, I, you'd see a lot of comics like a lot of comics yell, but they'll yell directly into the mic. You know what I mean? Which is like can be really shattering. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I always I, a comic over for me recently was like yelling into the mic because so many comics hold the mics kind of like rappers or something. They hold it like right here, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> and it's like, that's fine if you're soft spoken, you know, because if you're soft spoken, you want to hold the mic as close as possible. But if you yell, you really want to Bill Cosby it and keep it lower. So like I've definitely learned to keep the mic lower. And then at certain points, I, there are certain things I've always yelled. I, I've liked I like yelling off mic sometimes. I don't know. I think I saw, I remember Todd Glass had a joke once about Kmart where he yelled. <laughs> he kind of like left the mic and yelled and it created this feeling of off screen kind of, you know, for an yeah. album. <laughs> and uh, I really like that. I don't know. I like that style. So there, I, I've always played around with like, you know, lowering the mic, sometimes not using the mic at all and then bringing the mic back, you know, I guess it just creates different. Yeah, you get some you dynamics. Know, different dynamics, different kind of, uh, if, you know, feelings to the the show. So I've always liked that and yelling without a mic at all is something I do like for certain bits, you know? Um, and it was my Corden set was cool. Cause I got to actually, we didn't really have time on the Fallon set, but it was a Corden set. I got to like, cause the mic is obviously like, it's not like it's, they have a lava mic or like, you know, it's the mic itself is a lot of times fake, but uh, I got to yeah. like, uh, I got to lower it for certain bits and then they would lower the volume to create the effect. So it was cool to have that. Yeah. You know, you made some guys do some extra work in post-production for that. Yeah. Or real, real time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It was live, but like, uh, but uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's cool to, it's cool to play around with that. But yeah, I also think I'm just getting deaf. No, I think those dynamics are important. I think that I've noticed that in, in my time doing comedy, there's moments where sometimes a whisper, gets a bigger laugh than a full yes. voice thing and a yell and you just have to you can't hit the I, same beats the whole time you gotta like try different yeah. Shit. yeah in my head maybe i'm a little too analytical but i'm like okay drew when you go out on stage let's have make sure you have a couple of big act outs a couple yell yelling moments a couple whispering moments a couple of you know trying to make sure that i'm being I varied think, in my approach and i think different stuff i think variety is is crucial you know really crucial and the comics i love the most have like a lot of wide variety you know there's this british comic Stuart lee who's super soft-spoken but then he'll have like big yelling moments you know what i mean and that's like and then there's someone like eddie pepitone who yells a lot <laughs> but then he'll have very soft moments too i mean he'll get a laugh because he'll abruptly go to a, a soft but i think i mean comedy be, is it's the a big part of comedy is variety because you're, you're going for the same emotion over and over and over again it's so easy to become repetitive Mm-hmm. So like having different types of jokes, different types of styles can allow you to to be engaging for a long set. That's the thing I value the most about comedy is a long set. You know, that's the thing I really care about. And it, it, it's really hard to be captivating for a whole hour, you know, yeah. without boring the audience. There's so many people that can be hilarious for 20 minutes and then you just start getting bored. Yeah. And it's so hard to go for the full 45 minutes an hour. And to really do that, you need you need variety, you know. A voice or action or anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, our last, uh, last question we do, and then we'll get into the last laughs. We'll get you out of here. But, uh, how do you prepare for a set? How do you prepare for a, you know, a showcase set or a 45 minute set? And how's that different? Um, you know, I write out a set list, uh, 
I write out a set list pretty like just to have a whole sense. I'm I'm big in the set list because I don't some people just riff on stage, but I have like <clears throat> I try to have like callbacks and things come back and like closers that like you know so I I, I definitely have to try to have a specific set that I'm free to break free from if I want, but I'll work on a set list, uh write it all out. Um I tend to like put in bold the new jokes in the set list so I can kind of visually see them because for me i'd like to try out new shit but like a lot of times the best way to try out new shit is if you kind of seamlessly weave it into a set but and that's hard you have to remember where to add it so like i'll put it in bold just to remind myself to get to those you know and then if i forget i can look at it later and just read it out loud or whatever but uh but yeah i have a set list and then i try i try to be prepared before i get to the show so i don't have to think about it you know there's a book called Inner Game of Tennis that has like a lot of, I read a long time ago, but a lot of good ideas about being in the zone. But one of the things that I think is important is if you can, you know, obviously it's not always the case, but a lot of times you'll see someone writing out their set list right before they go on stage. And that's what, it's really a lack of preparation. It seems like they're working hard. And I guess they are on some level, but <laughs> the person who can just sit there and talk before he goes on stage, but he's prepared because he worked on it all day. And that's yeah. like a much better <clears throat> place to be in. Because if you're, if you're writing your set, I mean, I, I do it all the time. I'm not saying I don't, I, I don't follow this rule. I write set lists all the time before I go on stage, but <laughs> if you're writing a set list right before you go on stage, you're stuck in the analytical side too much. Right. That's right. And then you have to snap out of it. Cause it is, you want to work as hard as you can on the set and then you need to let it go and be okay. Cause the worst thing ever is like, you're forcing a, uh, uh, the audience to go to a place. They don't want to go. You gotta, you gotta be open to changes and so much different mm -hmm. shit happens in that moment, you know? Yeah, such a good idea to have your set list prepared and ready before you step foot in the club. Show yeah. up. Show be up yeah, be prepared beforehand. That I, I think finding time earlier on the day to like have have your set is really crucial. And that way, like you, the, the goal is to not think about your jokes an hour before you go on stage. Yeah, well, then, you can, then you can think about your first whatever your first thing's going to be. It'd be yeah. about the room, about the day, about the. Then you can focus on those moments. And, yeah, exactly. And that'll that'll put you in the room. That'll be, become part of the experience. And then you get your set list. You can get to. Um, yeah, I have actually. I don't know. Maybe I'll read. I have um, a uh, a note I write out, write out to myself before important shows, and I send it to people sometimes uh before they have an important show because i think it can be like helpful but can i read it out maybe yeah, like, please yeah. do it's great please. yeah i guess it'd be awkward if you said no like no, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> actually we're just running out of time so uh <laughs> <laughs> uh it's a note i usually use this for like more of like uh, really important shows where it's like it's so easy for the nervousness to like take you out of the moment but this is a little note i wrote it's a little long i'll, I'll say it quickly but um it's called be prepared so I go, you've prepared as much as you could. You've imagined an ideal show in your head. And it was this you pictured while rehearsing the words, the pauses, the gesticulations. And now the actual show is about to start. Reality is about to intervene on the fantasy in your head. You've prepared. Now let it go. Be in the moment. Don't be armed and ready for things that intervene on the fantasy, but rather live in the moment, embrace what happens. This is fun. People have come to see you laugh with you. You have a chance to forget yourself. You have a chance to be present. Let it go. Be present. And I just kind of like read that before I go on stage sometimes for an important shows. And it kind of yeah. helps me like forget, you know, remind me of that, you know? Now that's send, perfect. Yeah. Send me, send me that. I got a big one. I'll send it to you. Yeah. I'll send yeah. it to you. Yeah. It's, you know, it's corny, but it helps to like, 
Okay. It helps to like remind yourself that right before, because you lose the nervousness and all that can make you lose sense of gratitude. And I mean, it's pretty awesome when people have come to, yeah. But to laugh at what you say, it's a pretty awesome experience, and it's so easy to forget the excitement of that experience because the routine and all that. And and it's also easy to forget like when you're working <clears throat> on the set before and you just want it all to go perfectly. And it's so it's that's impossible. It's it's an audience full of different people are going to weird shit's going to happen. It's so important to let that flow, you know? Yeah. And really well said, because I think that, uh, you know, I think we know, or I know personally, some of the worst sets I've had was when I was so maybe locked in on the plan Yeah, that I ignored every warning sign in the moment to, to do something different and to, and to roll with the punches that were happening. And my brain was going, Nope, you wrote the set list. You wanted to try these three or four new jokes. You're going to stick to it. And it just derailed the whole set because I wasn't free to just enjoy the moment. They can tell when you're not there. And, uh, and you know, so yeah, that can ruin it. And then what makes comedy so hard is eventually you have to get a tape for something like late night. And then you have to ignore all <laughs> those instincts and be like, Oh, I can't like fucking, I have to actually just do the script. So you, yeah. you have to learn all these instincts and then go against them to get a tape. So, you know, yeah. Oh. And I love the fan, the word, the idea that it's a fantasy. Like I'm at a comedy festival right now. I had five hours <laughs> to create this fantasy of what it was going to be. And then the reality is something different, but you can't let that impact where, how you show up. And in fact, you have to change how you show up. So if you're prepared, you're, you're prepared, you're able to do right. that. Can we always imagine the audience dying laughing? We don't imagine, like, we imagine, like, when we write jokes, we imagine that the audience is, it's crushing in our heads, and you have to let that go, yeah, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I write jokes, and I just imagine people uh, mediocrely chuckling at them, and it's like, yeah. (laughs) Well, then the the reality won't be so disheartening for you. That's where you should be. Uh, You're like, this is just like my dreams. (laughs) (laughs) I have very low aiming dreams. (laughs) Let's do our, uh, let's do our last laugh. Let me play the clip. It's weird, I know. I'm sorry. No, uh, okay, so here we go. Uh, here's how it works. Last laugh. It's the joke to be remembered by. It could be your joke, one of your heroes. Don't, don't matter. Just make it funny and put it on your tombstone. What you got? I tried to live every day like I was going to die tomorrow. Depressed and full of panic. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's that's I, fair. That fits your okay. character. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't know. I, I, I actually think about this a lot because some people have really funny tombstones. And there's really only one who's had like the only great, really crusher tombstone was Spike Milligan, this uh, I- I- Irish comedian, um, who whose uh, tombstone just said, "I told you I was ill," <laughs> <laughs> which I think is just great. Yeah, yeah. It's perfect it British humor. Kind of reminds yeah. me of that. What's that old joke like? You could tell he didn't like it. He was like, "Yeah, it's great. It's perfect British humor. <laughs> <laughs> Something I don't find funny." <laughs> Um, but yeah, I love that to me. That's just a perfect one. I told you I was ill. Um, <laughs> there's some other good ones. That's all folks. Mel Blanc, oh, Looney Tunes guy. I like that old. I think, is it a Jack Handy joke? The one that's like, when I die, I want to go in my sleep, like grandpa, not screaming like all of his passengers. It's actually not a Jack Handy joke. Like and, that. I, and I only know that because it's the opening quote of that movie. Don't look up. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, it's yeah. right. Yeah. That's well, right. That's I right. hated that movie too. I fucking hated it. Yeah, but some <laughs> uh, when I when that got posted, a comedian 
a comedian like tweeted how that's not Jack Handy's joke. Like they didn't even they that movie's so bad they didn't even research who wrote that fucking joke. <laughs> I can't remember. I know it's been around forever, but I I guess that's why it's a great I connected joke, it to Jack Handy yeah. because I saw that. I just well, watched they that said movie on that. Before. It's a great joke. I don't. I can't remember who they said. It was like one of the other writers. But like, uh, you know, that's a great joke. Um, Schwarzenegger can do I'll be back. I feel like that's a good one, you know? If it's not on his tombstone, he's really messing up. Like yeah, that's a, he's really out of touch. Really missed opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's hard to do a funny one. I feel like mine that one's okay, but uh, I probably think of another one. You know, it's good, Brit- good British humor. You, uh, got pl- you have plenty of time to figure out a new one before you before you kick the buckets. So. Bukowski's was don't try. That's pretty good. Oh, see, you're kind of a deep, you're a literary kind of guy. So you'll probably come up with something a little more like deep and thoughtful than funny. Like it'll be, it'll it'll be be something profound. It'll be perfect British humor. Yeah. (laughs) Let's do this. Uh, Tell, tell all of our people where to find you. Uh, well, you can follow me on Instagram at Ron on comedy. That's R A A N A N. Oh, there it is. Yeah. So follow me on Instagram. Um, and I just uploaded my special from 2019, Downhill mm-hmm. Ever Since. It took me a while. I don't know. I'm, it was an album, and I had some camera angles, and I was, just took forever to like compile it. <laughs> but I uploaded it three weeks ago. It's doing pretty well. It's at like 60,000 views, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like kind of like grateful for that. You know what I mean? Uh, so uh, especially now that it's not on Spotify because they're a bunch of fucking dipshits who like uh, removes every comics album. Um, that's right. But uh, I know it's so annoying. Like Neil Young is getting all this praise for like uh, demanding to be removed from Spotify. And I'm like, please put me back on Spotify. <laughs> I'll take the pennies. I, yeah, I need it. Yeah. I'll suck Joe Rogan's dick right now. Um, <laughs> but uh, but so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good special. And that's the only where, place you can hear it now because now on Spotify. So uh, so, yeah, give it. A, I mean, you can hear it on like Apple Music, I guess, and any other platform. But uh but uh, give it go go to YouTube and watch it. Downhill ever since by um, Ron on Hirschberg. Just type it in and subscribe to my YouTube channel because I'm going to be taping another special in April, and I'll have that on uh, YouTube pretty soon. You know, nice. absolutely. Well, downhill ever since. Go check that out on YouTube. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Don't just watch it. Fucking subscribe. Do your thing. Yeah, you piece uh, of shit. Don't just yeah. fucking watch it. <laughs> Don't just sit there for an hour and watch yeah. my comedy, motherfucker. Yeah, at least subscribe. It's the least you can do. Uh, follow him on Run On Comedy. And uh, thanks for doing it, man. So much fun. We'd of really course. Thanks it. for having me. I had a lot of fun, man. All right. Awesome. All right. Thank all right. you all for listening. Bye. See you soon, man. Take care. Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website BreakingDownBits.com or shoot us an email at BreakingDownBits at gmail.com.